Hi, Greg Perry, the Historic Preservationist. Welcome to episode 402. Going to get back to the uh, art of basic woodworking. We're going to talk about the turner tonight. So if, if you were a wealthy aristocrat and could spend your time in any way you wanted, would anyone find you wood turning on the foot treadle lathe? That's a question mark, huh? Perhaps not, but if you have done any wood turning at all, I'm sure you'll agree that it's the most entrancing of all the mechanical processes of the 18th century. The perfection of spinning symmetry revealed by the chisel holds a timeless fascination for prints and pauper as like. And if you really want to get back to basics, the Christian model 1000 BC lathe is hard to beat. <clears throat> Your basic lathe recipe. So take two stout posts with conical metal points or even depressions set in their sides, bury the post in the ground with the roughly rounded turning stock pinned between the two points. See that the wood spins freely, but without any play from side to side. Now find a stout cord, a jug of cheap wine, and someone who doesn't look too busy. Wrap the cord twice around the turning stock and give the two free ends to your assistant. Have that person pull alternately on the two ends of the cord to set the spinning wheel back and forth. Shape the wood with your chisel as it spins toward you from top to bottom. Use the wine to motivate the motion until the job is done. Progress, let's talk about some progress. Initial improvements to this lathe mainly involve means of keeping the, the vino to yourself. No, just kidding. The cord can be stretched in a wooden bow to allow you to power the lathe with your with one hand, thus doing without the helper. This bow lathe is still used today in many parts of the world. It leaves but one hand free to hold the chisel. But if you use your bare hand or your bare toes as a tool rest, you'll find that the work proceeds with astonishing efficiency. Let's see how it progressed further, the lathe, the modern lathe. The spring pole lathe, as useful as sit-down bow lathes are to the people of the Middle East, Europeans prefer to stand at their work, the better to see the boss coming, so to speak. By attaching one end of the driving cord to a springy sapling pole and the other to a foot treadle, the turner can power the lathe on the downstroke and allow the spring pole to pull it back when the foot is raised. The rotation still reverses on the upstroke, going about five full turns forward and five back. But such a lathe is powerful and fast, easily running up to 900 RPM. That's, isn't that amazing? So if designed with an adjustable bed, that allows the points to adjust to different lengths of wood and an adjustable tool rest to accommodate different diameters. It is a versatile tool as well. So let's talk about the great wheel. So again, progressions of the evolution of the modern lathe. The bow and spring pole lathes work amazingly well when the mass to be turned is not large. But large, heavy stock will have too much inertia to reverse direction on each cycle. The great lathe 
solves this problem but brings back another. Simple but cumbersome. The six-foot diameter great wheel must be spun by a helper. And you, you also have to know a wheelwright within the vicinity to make such a lathe, to make the progression of such a lathe. So that is essential. So without the wheelwright round, I mean, you would have to be in a, in a crafty town such as Williamsburg to, uh, to have the wheelwright available or major cities. So a belt runs across the shop to the bed lathe where it either wraps directly around the work or around a pulley on an iron axle one end of which is spiked into the wood as a drive center. The great wheel lathe has the advantage of high speed and torque, but again requires you to share the jug. When wind and water were judged to be cheaper sources of power than fermented beverage, the modern industrial era began. Thank God, huh? So let's go back to the folding lathe. The folding lathe has consistently done well. It is designed by H. Hulot of Paris in 1775. Although Hulot was primarily concerned with being able to fold it up and put it in a corner of the room, it also was an excellent lathe for traveling. It folds in the middle and the legs can be pulled from their mortises and the whole thing packed up in a small bundle. So I found it to be not only a great attraction on market days, but also a good working lathe as well. This is the first lathe I would recommend to people who want to build their own lathe. This is, of course, a spring pole lathe also. The work, held between two central points, spins as you pull down on a cord wrapped around it. The spring pole rewinds the piece when you let up with your foot. Beside the fact that it folds up, the neat thing about this lathe is the compact mechanism of the spring pole. Usually a spring pole has to be about 12 feet long for there to be sufficient travel and spring to return the cord. So this lathe that we're talking about here, however, uses a short, stiff spring connected to the short end of the top-mounted lever. This gives the same action as the long pole but in a very different compact design. The principles of construction are the same as for the loom, with a slight added complexity of laying out the mortises for angle legs. For a straight in mortise, you can use the same setting on the double tooth marking gauge for both the tenon and the mortise. When the tenon comes in at an angle, however, the surface of the mortise becomes an oblique section a diagonal wider than the tenon is quite thick. All this means is that after you lay out the tenons, you need to readjust the gauge a little wider for the mortises, that's all. So, you know, simple woodworking 101 here. So nothing to overwhelm anyone. But, uh, so just let me, uh, let me just finish here with uh, the lathe that I'm using. I'm using um, a lathe that's not available anymore from our litigious society. Uh, the General Corporation of Canada, I believe it was out of Ontario. Um, I'm turning eight foot between centers, 20 inches over the bed. Um, just a phenomenal machine with variable speed, <clears throat> weighing in uh, slightly around 3,000 pounds. So anybody that finds this lathe, uh, you know, uh, for a couple thousand dollars and used equipment sales has quite the bargain. 
Um, the additional interesting lathe that I gave up once I had a uh, had a fire in the shop was uh, a lathe done by uh, a very good turner, Ernie Conover. He was uh, an engineering mogul and a, and a very good woodworker. Ernie created uh, two heavy cast iron la legs, uh, variable speed drive with a in-house motor, and then you would create your own bed so you could make the bed as long as you wanted. I used two two-inch by 10-inch by 10-foot poplar rails for the bed. And uh, what was interesting about this lathe, using a wood bed, I'm able to uh, connect and affix jigs for reading and fluting, uh, mortising and various other things, why I still have the stock on the lathe, you know, for bedposts or uh, large columns. I can flatten the squares on columns. So I really do miss my Conover lathe. I find there's a few out there, uh, but they're going probably for two to $3,000. So uh, no wood lathe for me anymore. I started out doing that with a spring pole lathe. So uh, uh, I think I'll stick with my general now. So, and I'm very happy between centers. I don't, uh, I don't get too excited about the, uh, the craze in the last 15 years about the, these ball turners and one-way lathes. They're very not interesting. Let's stick with traditional woodworking here at the Historic Preservationist. Everyone, thanks for listening. Take care and uh, pass our episodes on to anyone you may know about uh, has interest in woodworking or wood turning, the historic trades. Thanks for so much for listening.